Lord, we come to you this day with looking at this familiar story to many of us, asking you to illumine our minds that we might think your thoughts, that you would take my lips and speak through them to this your people, that you would fill us Holy Spirit and warm our hearts to the reality of your presence. And Lord, you would take every single one of our wills and bend them to your own. For in Jesus' name I pray, amen. One thing I've observed for the past 27 years of Christian ministry is that a lot of people quit following Jesus after college or during college because they didn't see the relevance of it. They asked God to intervene into a particular situation that seemed perfectly reasonable, but when God didn't do it, they wondered if God was even there. Or if he was there, what's the whole point? point of this Christian thing, this church thing. They could not understand why a good God would not do the reasonable thing that they asked of him. They might have even upped their game. You know, they came to church every Sunday. They, they read their Bible more. They prayed more. They got involved. They served more. They gave more. But after a few months of doing this and nothing happened, they started thinking, what's wrong with me? Then their thoughts of what's wrong with me turned into, God, what's wrong with you? And that turned into, God, are you even there? And so after listening while they're in college to Professor Prideful, you know, you can find them everywhere at OU, OSU, Kent, Toledo, Miami, drum into them class after class after class, the non-existence of God. Church becomes less and less a priority, and it's not worth it to follow Jesus. And then one day they realize they haven't been to church in six months, and they don't even know what they believe anymore. Sound familiar? See, our, our text... And Genesis 40 speaks into this situation powerfully. And it reveals the one who, while he's appealing to God to be released from prison, God is at work around him. So I invite you to turn with me to this text in Genesis chapter 40. Open up your Bibles. I hope you're able to bring them with you. For Joseph's story today teaches us that in the walk with Christ discouraging times will happen. Two, in the midst of that discouragement, we can flourish as God's people. And three, that we can find great encouragement of God's and experience God in the midst of our suffering. First, discouragement is expected. Verses one through four. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody of the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and Joseph attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Coming off last week, we remember Joseph has now been unjustly put in a prison, but this isn't just any prison. 
This is the king's prison. This is Pharaoh's prison. Last week, we learned that he had resisted temptation, the temptation of power, the temptation of sex, and then temptation now it's being lived out before our eyes, the temptation to despair. Joseph is not falling into despair. He's in Pharaoh's prison with these two chief officials of the king's court, the cupbearer and the baker. They personally minister to the king themselves, and they had offended the king in some way, and they fell prey to his wrath, and off to prison they go. And Joseph could hardly have suspected the events to follow when these two high-ranking men were put into his care. And so for the moment, there are just two more people that Joseph's got to take care of and attend to. But that's a responsibility which the Lord has given him. So he, he has that attitude. And when you surrender your life to Christ, Joseph is modeling for us that even in the midst of our discouraging times, God is with us. Because when you surrender your life to Christ, there are times of great joy and happiness, and there's times of great sorrow and grieving. We are not immune from human suffering. And I realize that either... And some of us gathered here today or watching us online or hearing the sound of my voice for wherever you are, you might be thinking about what you're enduring right now, the suffering. Or you've wondered, where is God in all human suffering? But you see, the Christian isn't the only one who has to answer that question. The rest of the world has to answer that question too. You know, sitting at Jake's a couple years ago, and the guy goes, hey, what about suffering and evil? Remembering our tactical situation approach to this, right? Remember this? Tactical, just thinking out loud, asking questions to the questions. And I said, well, what about it? What about evil? And then he said, well, you know, evil is here. If God is good, there shouldn't be an evil Therefore, God doesn't exist. I thought about it for a second. I said, okay, let's assume God doesn't exist. And the world is full of beatings and violence, human trafficking, the innocent being put into jail, rape and murder. Would you say these exist? He goes, absolutely. Evil exists. Why? You tell me, why does evil exist if there's no God? 99% of our neighbors who, believe, who don't believe in Christ haven't thought one second about the answer to that question. They just reject Christ and blame God. To which I responded to this person, you know, I've had some suffering in my life. Let me tell you about it. How about you? What suffering have you endured? And listen to people. Because many people have a really tough suffering problem. There's very few Professor Pridefuls who've thought this through as unbelievers. All right? Most of our neighbors really have some hurts. And what we know is that while I can't explain all human suffering, I can't explain that much of human suffering comes at human hands, and we live in a broken world. And humans are awful to one another. 
and God knows what it's like to lose a loved one. What do you believe about Jesus? Listen. Well, you know, I used to believe that too, but I've discovered by reading John's gospel that that's not who Jesus is. Would you be interested in learning about him more? Further the conversations, friends. And so Joseph continued to serve faithfully, even in this discouraging situation. And he received promotions in less than ideal circumstances. Discouragement comes to us all. Secondly, we learn how we can flourish in the midst of our discouraging times. Verses 5 through 8. And so one night, they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, and were, who were combined in the prison. Each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. Can you imagine when they said that to him, how encouraged Joseph had been? You say encouragement. How is this encouraging, Gene? Well, remember, what got him into trouble in the first place is God too had spoken to Joseph in a dream, in a vision. Now, he was 17 at that time. You remember how wise you were at 17? Okay? No offense to my 17-year-olds that are present. All right? We love you. We're with you. But you're going to get wiser as you age. That's what losing, getting gray hair and losing it all means. Joseph probably should have withheld some of it, maybe just talked to his father about the vision. I don't know. But his brothers were evil, wicked men. And he didn't deserve this. But he knows how to interpret dreams. He's in charge of these prisoners. And he's got a gift to interpret such dream and recognizes that God is at work here. That's encouraging. So secondly, he joins the Lord at the work he's doing with these two officials. So Joseph witnesses them right off the bat and says, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me. See, he uses the word Elohim, which means the God who is the one true God. He's telling these pluralistic, polytheistic Egyptians who've never heard of Yahweh, of God. Now he's the one true God. And in the ancient world, dreams that were remembered were often considered divine revelation. The whole ancient world believed that. So they were troubled that they didn't know what these meant. And we know in the scripture, God speaks to his people in dreams at times. Abimelech in Genesis 20, Laban in third chapter 31 of Genesis, Joseph in chapter 37. The most famous dream probably in all the Old Testament is Daniel chapter 7 when he gets the vision of the Son of Man returning. And of course at Christmas time we all hear about Joseph's dream, right? Matthew's Gospel chapter 2 verse 19, Now when the wise men departed, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he took Mary and his infant son Jesus to Egypt because God had spoken to him powerfully. Witnesses today in the Arab world state that God is using dreams to bring many in the Arab world to himself. 
So Joseph says, I, I can't interpret the dream. But God can interpret the dream. Because interpretation belongs to God. Tell me. And he's trusting that God will speak to him. Because God is the one who interprets dreams. And so the cupbearer shares his dream. Verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me. And on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So Joseph then gives the interpretation in verse 12. This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. So he interprets the dream. Joseph knows it's true. This is going to happen. But then he gives him an appeal. Right? He says, mention me to Pharaoh. Verse 14. And so, only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. You see, he's emphatic. I'm innocent. And he continues, he tells the story. For verse 15, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that should put me into the pit. So he appeals to him. His protest of innocence adds to the idea that God is testing Joseph. And he, for he was suffering without a cause, and yet God was with him. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, God will allow us to go through suffering. And he will weaken us so he can bring others to himself. And we have no answer for it. Joseph We'll have an answer for this eventually, but sometimes we don't. I've often wondered many times throughout the past few years why our brother Tim Keller got pancreatic cancer. He went home to the Lord. This is the, I'm going, Kimmy and I and a couple others from Christchurch are going to the Gospel Coalition National Conference this week. I can't imagine the Gospel Coalition National Conference without having a plenary address from Tim Keller where he just teaches gold, gifted, winsome. He was our generation C.S. Lewis. I'm thinking to myself, he's got so many more books to write. He's got so many more sheep. I'm one of them to feed. Lord, spare him. And the Lord took him. And you know what his dying words were? It was just him and Kathy Keller in the room. He said, there's no downside to my going. And then he died. Because there isn't. <laughs> Live as Christ and to die is gain. He believed it. And it's true. And so my friends, when we wonder in the midst of suffering where God is and how this all works out, remember the cross and settle once and for all God's love for you on the cross to which he went willingly for each and every one of us. And so the chief baker had a dream too, right? Chief Baker, verse 16, saw that the interpretation was favorable. He said to Joseph, I've also had a dream. 
There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And so Joseph answered, interpreted this dream as well, and believed it was of the Lord. This is his interpretation. The three baskets of three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Sometimes the truth is hard to hear, but Joseph had the courage to speak it. We need to speak the truth in love to those who don't know Christ, to those who are imprisoned in much of our world's ways. Friends, we speak the truth in love no matter what, and what we see here is Joseph powerfully flourished even in the midst of a discouraging situation. Finally, we see God's faithful often find encouragement as they join God at the work he's doing around him. Verse 20, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker from his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted them. While this isn't great news for the baker, it's great news for Joseph because here he is, it came true. He looked at his interpretation of the dreams, they were spot on. He didn't misunderstand them. And he could be sure in the midst of this discouraging situation he's in that God is with him and God will use him. And of course, the tension was great in Joseph. He was imprisoned unjustly and it was not yet resolved. But certainly, the cupbearer was still there, right? Verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Out of sight, out of mind. And I'm sure there were some dark days for Joseph in Pharaoh's prison. And the cupbearer forgot, but God did not. God was using every day to form Joseph into the man that he would need for the unknown to Joseph task that was ahead of him. There's a future here for Joseph. And Joseph's faith, as we will continue to see week by week by week, was not destroyed by the circumstances. He was being formed into exactly the type of leader God was intending him to be. And Joseph had been stolen from his land, wrongly imprisoned, but when God revealed that he was at work, Joseph courageously joined him in it, and God revealed himself to Joseph in the dreams coming true. He's getting ready for the public arena. You see, God tests his people's faith and the promises before he entrusts them to greater responsibilities. And those who are convinced that God desires to use them in greater capacities will demonstrate the unwavering faith in the midst of discouraging situations. 
But what we need to see is that even our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane in our gospel lesson today revealed his human side when he prayed to his father, Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't know about you, but that warms my heart that there's not one prayer that you can't pray to the Lord and that he does not hear you in Jesus Christ. His father heard that prayer. And like all prayers, God may say yes. He may say wait, not yet. Which is what we're going to see in Joseph. Where he's going to say, like in our Lord Jesus, no. We're going to go through this. You're going to go through this. Because we love, I love my people. Richard Wormbrand remembered that. Richard Wormbrand in 1945 when the communists from Russia invaded Romania attempted to take control of all the churches. Lutheran pastor Richard Wormbrand began an effective and vigorous underground church. He ministered to oppressed believers and Russian soldiers at every chance he had. So three years later, in 1948, they arrested Richard and his wife Sabina and put them in prison. For three years, he was in solitary confinement, seeing no one but his captors, where he was brutally tortured. After five years, he was confined... After three years, he was transferred to a group cell where the torture continued for five more years. But every step of the way, he told his fellow prisoners and the Russian soldiers how much God loves them. He became internationally known because the word just got out. So even the U.S. State Department asked the Romanian government about him they were told first that he had fled the country. We don't know where he is. Adding to the confusion, the Romanian secret police, posing as former prisoners, told his wife Sabina, who'd been freed from prison, that they had attended his burial and that he was dead. And she believed them. But after eight more years in prison, Richard Wormbrand was released. Did he retreat? Did he leave? Nope. He went right back to the underground church, ministering to the people there in Romania. A couple years later, 1959, he, he got arrested again and was released in 1964. So in total, he spent 16 years in prison. A group of Christians in Norway were the ones who eventually sprung him and Sabina out of Romania. The, the Romanian government would sell political prisoners to you, about $2,000 a head. But for Richard Wormbram, you had to pay $10,000. So the church in Norway raised $10,000 and freed them where he got out and he started a ministry which today we know as the Voice of the Martyrs. Powerful ministry, speaking of the persecuted church all over the world that stays faithful right where they are because they love their country.
and they want to see their friends come to the faith in Christ. My friends, we have neighbors and friends who are imprisoned in our, the consumerism of our culture. That they've got to have something more all the time. The materialism of our culture. After they buy the latest shiny thing, it loses its shine and they go on to the next shiny thing. Or individualism. The posture that says, you can't tell me how to live. The posture that says, I'll do it my way. Friends, our culture needs Christ. It needs the love of Christ. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Because God so loved them that he laid down his life for them as well as us. So we start ministering first in our own families and then to one another and then to the West Shore. And God can use it mightily as we're faithful to his call, even in discouraging times. But I know what's encouraging is that we're going to baptize Paisley today. Here's one more covenant child of the king coming in with faithful parents who are making promises and godparents who are going to help her along the way. So that when she's 13 and cops an attitude, we can all look at her and say, uh-uh, no, we were there. We made a promise to help you follow Christ with us. Listen to your mom. Listen to your dad. We love you. Speaking the truth in love. That's the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for encouraging words in really a tough situation that Joseph finds himself in. Lord, we know in the next chapter that Joseph was there for two years, but yet you never, ever departed from him. And so, Lord, we pray that you would encourage us even in our highs and in our lows, and that we would have eyes to see where you're at work, that we would join you in that work, and we would experience you powerfully like never before. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.